Today our text continues from the book of Acts chapter 2. We had a message last Sunday in the series that we're in called The Five Purposes of the Church. And we are discovering that in these five purposes of the church, we fulfill the great commission that Jesus has called the church to fulfill, and that is to go and make disciples. Making disciples. That, that's what we do. That's who we are. That's what we are about. And I've selected this passage to stay in for a while and plow around in here a little bit because we see those five purposes taking place in the early church when it was first birthed with the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Those who believed received the Holy Spirit of God. Same today. Anyone who believes in Christ and trusts Him as Lord and Savior, when you pray that prayer of repentance... And you truly, sincerely, not because you've said a prayer, but because you meant it. You have given your life to Christ, and by His grace the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Last Sunday we talked about the God who calls us to worship Him also calls us to minister in His name by His grace. So receiving Christ in this act of worship we're experiencing here today continues in our ministry as we leave from here today. And so God helps us to uniquely fulfill our ministries, particularly as we are uniquely made and gifted by the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Let's read that text again. We're in Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 47. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And if you put up that little outline we had from last week, there's uh, three points to that sermon I thought I was going to preach one day. And uh, all we got to last Sunday was the motivation for our ministry. Maybe we'll get through the methods today. Will you join me in prayer? Father, take this preparation and may it be your transforming Holy Spirit, powerful presence as we interact and are impacted by the Word of God today. May we leave here changed, not the same as we came in, but made more like Jesus because we've been a little closer to Jesus today in fellowship with each other. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, let's talk about some of the methods of our ministry. One thing you need to keep in mind is that every ministry we do here at the church, in the announcements, there was an upcoming um, harvest festival, and we're going to have the uh, trunk retreat, and that's what we call it. And uh, that was a lot of fun last year. But why do we do that? Why, why do we do that? Every ministry has to ask itself, 
why do we do what we do? Well, the answer is we're making disciples. We are making disciples. And we do that through the five purposes of the church. And it's not just to be busy doing something and draw a crowd. So often, Baptist, and I've spent all my ministry trying to draw a crowd. I have been so frustrated as a pastor and frustrated with the church because I was trying to boost numbers. Really, sincerely. And then I came to learn in the past several years and reminded that Jesus said, make disciples. And that's what you see as the early church ministered to each other. They had all things in common. As anyone had what? Need. Need. Every ministry should ask itself, why? You can have anything you want in life. I've come to learn this. You can have about anything you want in life, but you can't have everything. And whatever you decide that you want in life, you'll pay a price for it. To be a minister, and all of us are called to ministry. If you believe you are a minister of the Lord, and uh, it costs something to follow Jesus, and it costs something to be a minister. I'm not talking about ordained preachers. I'm talking about everyday Christians. What are you doing? How are you using what you have to minister? Have you ever thought that your house is an opportunity to be a minister of the gospel? Have you thought about that? Your house that you live in, you won't always live in it. One day you will leave it. The purpose of life is not to accumulate stuff. The purpose of life is to use stuff, whether it be a house, whether it be your cell phone, whether it be your automobile, whether it be your bank account. All the things that God has blessed you with have a purpose for ministry to other people. Ministry to other people. Christian life is not about you collecting everything and when you die, you leave it behind. The Christian life is about using your blessings to minister to other people. Tell you what, I have found Ekron Baptist Church and that's what they say on TV about the weather, Ekron Baptist Church. Hey, when we went to crossings, they called us Ekron down there, but hey, that's all right. We're Ekron Baptist Church, aren't we? And um, I forgot what I was going to say. Well, we'll just move on to the next uh, point. Maybe the Lord didn't want me to say that. I have said some things I shouldn't say from up here. But I apologize, and you forgave me. Oh, I found Akron to be a very generous church. Effective ministry requires something very special. I want us to just hone in on here. So everybody hang in here with me a minute. Every ministry we do, whether it's using your house, using your telephone, using your voice, using your resources, using your T-I-M-E time, that's how you spell you love somebody, T-I-M-E, you spend time with them. Every ministry requires that we minister with compassion and grace. Compassion and grace. I want to talk about that a little bit. Because that's the God that lives in us when we worship Him through the Holy Spirit. When we first got saved, 
The God that lives with us is the God of compassion and grace. The Bible says in Exodus, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. So when we minister, we bring the presence of God, who is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we bring God's presence to other people. Now we see Jesus do that. He fed the 5,000 when he, the Bible says, when he saw a huge crowd, he felt compassion for them and he healed the sick. Now we are not Jesus to go out and heal everybody, but we bring the healing power, listen, we bring the healing power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus to every person we meet. He is in us and working through us in spite of us. And that's what I like about grace. A compassionate person understands that we all suffer. We are all sin every day. We all lack discernment at times. We all need grace. We all want somebody to listen to our pain. And so when you minister, you take time to listen to the pain of others before you dump your pain on them. Our Southern Baptist Convention president, Ed Litton, has made the statement to the students at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas last week. Our SBC president said, friends, talking to the students, because they're going to go out to be pastors and missionaries and all the clergy types, but it applies to all of us. He said, friend, the greatest thing that you can have to offer the world is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And how true that is. So I've come to learn that compassion for other people requires stewardship of my soul. Ooh, have you thought about that? Showing compassion to other people requires stewardship of my soul. Well, preacher, just what do you mean by compassion? Compassion is being with souls. Now, when I say souls, being in the Air Force and knowing about airplanes and the manifest that counts the number of people on the plane, they, they don't talk about people on the plane. They talk about, they call them souls. That's true. When a plane crashes, they say so many souls were on that plane. Been there, done that. Compassion is being, so that's where my term souls come from. Compassion is being with souls in their pain without neglecting to feed our own soul. Compassion is being with souls in their pain. Now, some of you were able to come to my son's memorial service up in Louisville. Honest to God, I don't remember a word you said to me. I really don't. In fact, I can't remember what anybody said to me. But I remember you were there. Now, you translate that into every ministry opportunity with somebody in pain. I have a friend that has COVID right now. He was with me in the Air National Guard. Hi, Tommy, her, 
praying for you. He was in ICU. He's got COVID and just complicated, complicated. And when I called him on the phone, I remember that Tommy came and sat with me when I was in the hospital. There comes a time when you can do that too much without feeding your own soul. How are you feeding your soul so you can minister to other souls? That's called overexposure. When you're not feeding your soul. Now, let me take a pause here just a second. Warning. <laughs> if you are waiting till Sunday morning to feed your soul, your compassion for other people is going to be short or depleted. You're going to burn out. Because you're just busy, busy, busy doing things without feeding your own soul. And you don't feed yourself. You feed your soul through Bible study. You feed your soul through fellowship, through the five purposes of church. You feed your soul through prayer. You feed your soul through quiet reflection as you meditate on the Word of God. You feed your soul when you turn off the TV. Yeah, just turn it off. You don't need to hear the latest news every night. My TV is in my basement, and I don't like it down in my basement. It's underground. And I have to intentionally go watch TV in order to watch it. There are too many casualties these days on the spiritual battlefields. Burnout is rampant in, from the pulpit to the pews. And we talked last Sunday about the used to's around. I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to, but not anymore. It could be that there's a part of your walk with the Lord that you need to revive and renew and re-examine so that you can sit with others in their pain and that you can bring a joy into ministry, a joy that endures whatever circumstances that you're in so you can bring peace to other people where they are in this world. Compassion is not fixing people. Compassion is not recommending solutions. Now, men, that's our thing. We, we fix stuff, right? We want to fix a problem. And uh, I find that us men want to just kind of correct the problem and let's move on. And, and the real ministry is that, that we bring is the presence of Christ in us to just listen without recommending a fix. And that's what compassion is. Compassion is, is kind of crawling down in the hole. When, you know, you find somebody that's, that's fallen in the hole in life. Kind of like my little saying about falling in love. You don't fall in love, you fall into holes. You don't fall out of love, you fall out of trees, right? I mean, love is a decision that you make to love somebody. It, it doesn't just, oh, it just happened. No, it didn't just happen. Compassion is getting down into the well that others find themselves in. 
and saying, let's discover a way to get out of this situation. Let's discover a way to endure this situation. Let's discover a way to climb out of the hole that we're in. That's compassion. That is compassion. Compassion, hang on, if you got that, I've got one more for you. Compassion is knowing what your boundaries are and expecting others to respect your boundaries. Because you're compassionate, no one has the right to abuse you. Am I getting across here? Because you are compassionate and because you help other people, they do not have the right to abuse you. So set boundary. Compassion means that you respect the boundary of others. You're not in their space all the time. You're not trying to fix them all the time. And you don't want them in your space either. And when you set that boundary, you're asking people to do what you're doing for them. You're showing respect. That is compassion ministry. Let's move to the second point, talking about the message of our ministry. The last verse of Acts chapter 2, verse 47, said, Every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Our ministry has a message. And the message is, we are here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to you. The Bible says in Psalm 96, Every day proclaim the good news that he saves. That's in Psalm 96. Every day, proclaim the good news that he saves. Every work of God is for the purpose of the gospel. Sharing Jesus, sharing the good news of Christ. And how do we do that? The most effective way that we share the gospel is when we are ministering to other people. Now you saw in the video the ministry in prison that was taking place there. They went into the cells in the community of those who were imprisoned by their addiction. And they brought them good news of Christ. And it transformed them so that they are not addicted to the substances of the world, but transformed them with hope and coming out of that addiction. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel does. So through ministry, we are uh, showing compassion. Through ministry, we are sharing the gospel with other people. It is okay to bring up the name Jesus. And I have found that we might say church, and that kind of gets people nervous, or uh, we might say God, or we might say uh, Christ. We get a little brave there. But to say the name Jesus, ooh, that's, you know why? It's a powerful name. There's... There's just trans, you just say Jesus, and it's like the waters of the Jordan River parted. But there's healing in the name of Jesus. There's hope in the name of Jesus. There's eternal life in the name of Jesus. And the relationships that you are in right now, now think about who your friends, who your network, who, who's, who, who do you know? Today we're having baptisms, some family members are here, and friends, and so forth. All right, those networks, those friend relationships you have, is the, the number one way that people are one to Christ, through relationships. We're doing gospel to every home right now, and, uh, you know, pray for our teams that are out there going door to door, hanging on, on the door, uh, 
a doorknob, the, that little packet that's got the gospel in it, or having a gospel conversation uh, with folks, or, or just, just saying, you know, um, uh, well, anyway, we're sharing the gospel with these packets. And so pray for the teams that are, that are going door to door and, and, you know, knocking on those doors. It's, it's exciting time. So when you, when you develop your relationships with people through ministry, you want to think about this. Listen to this phrase. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. If you've invested in people's lives, you have the right to invite them to the gospel. If you have invested in people's lives and you have sat with them and cried with them and, uh, and listened to them on the phone, etc., etc., pour their hearts out, you have earned the right to share the gospel. So invest and invite. 80%, hear this, 80% of all of you that are here this morning are here because somebody in your family or a friend invited you. You didn't come because we had a church sign. You didn't come because we had the internet with a website. You didn't... Only 1% of you, maybe 2% of you, came because you said, hey, I got a new crazy preacher down at Ekron Baptist Church, and you, would you just come hear this crazy guy preach? 2% are there because of who the pastor is. 2%. What does that run up? Ego, pastor's ego or what? 80% of you are here today. Think about it because of family relationships or a friend relationship. That's, that's what we need to be thinking about in terms of ministry with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kind of reminds me of the old prophet Elijah. Elijah in the Old Testament was preaching, and he's tough, I mean he was tough, but he had his limits too. And he was preaching to Ahab. The children of Israel, the people of Israel, had gone after these Baal gods. Ahab was a wicked king, and his wife was even more wicked than him. And they had a showdown on Mount Carmel. Elijah said, tell you what we do to decide if Baal is God or is Yahweh our God. Let's build two altars. And they built two altars. And they put an altar with some wood on it and a and a sacrifice of an animal. And they prayed all day long to sundown, and nothing happened. And those prophets of Baal, those Israelites who were prophets of Baal, they, uh, they got so ecstatic and carrying on, you know, doing their thing, they knocked over Elijah's uh, 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 altar. So after they calmed down, Elijah said, okay, it's time to strike up and light the altar that I have built. And he told those prophets, said, I know it's not working for you, but he said these words, come near to me, let's repair this, we'll start over again. Of course they did. They even poured water on that altar. Elijah prayed, fire came down from heaven, consumed the altar, and some ran for their lives and some repented. That's what we do when we minister with the name of Jesus. Let's come here. Let's gather around the Lord Jesus. 
let's, re- let's let him repair our lives. And now we can start over. Now we can start over. And that's my appeal to you today as you think about your relationship with God. Life may be a mess, but you can always start over with Jesus. If you'll just give your life to him today. If you want to do that, I'm going to stand down here during our next song. and We'll just ask you to be seated on the front row. We'll show you how to give your life to the Lord, how to pray that prayer of repentance and truly ask Christ in your heart. But you must come. Just like Elijah said, come near. Come on. You've got to come. You've got to want Jesus. And you've got to be willing to say publicly, I am following Jesus and nothing's going to stop me. Perhaps you want to unite with our church from a sister church of like faith and order. We invite you to come as well. Let's stand together. Let's sing our hymn of response. Will you come right now? You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.